The Mets bats have gone by the wayside. Can someone score for Jacob DeGrom already? We'll talk about being swept by the Red Sox, the upcoming three-game set in Philly, and Lindor is getting booed already. The post Mike Puma will join us to give a few anecdotes from his new Mets book. No booing here, next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Crazy, yo. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. The Mets lost twice, so it's a shorter welcome. It's not a grand welcome here to our Mets podcast. Jake Brown and Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. Go on Apple Podcast right now. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, wherever you get podcasts as well. Uh, Mike Puma for the New York Post is going to join us later in the show. Figgy will talk about his new book, If These Walls Could Talk, New York Mets, but obviously a somber edition because the Mets' bats were somber on Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, one run from McNeil. I was there, and it was a snooze fest both days. Tuesday was a McNeil homer. That was it. Wednesday was a nothing homer. And that was it. I mean, they got a nothing burger for Jacob DeGrom. You lose 2-1 Tuesday. You lose one nothing Wednesday. And, you know, maybe you do start to question the bats, Figgy, because it wasn't very cold. I was there, and it was pretty good weather. Tuesday was a little chilly. Wednesday was 75 degrees. It was really nice out. So it's coming to the point now where maybe you start to get a little concerned. Now, you know what's funny is that as a player, you're always like, man, it is cold. You know, uh, that, that's not an excuse. You can't make that an excuse. And I'm glad you're making the excuses for the professionals, the paid professionals who are supposed to hit in any environment. You can't build a dome for these guys and say, oh, well, they can't hit unless it's in an indoor environment, controlled air and and the oxygen levels at a certain percentage. Bottom line is this. It's a pathetic excuse for an offense and not just unacceptable. You look at their offense, 30th, the bottom, last in runs by a lot. And don't give me, oh, they played less games. Only 57 runs, 57 total runs. At home, 28 runs in 10 games, 2.8 per game. They're averaging about three runs a game for the season. It's really just been very disappointing when you talk about the names of who should be hitting and are not hitting. And it's not just not hitting, but I'm not seeing any kind of big contact, hard contact, even fouling balls off with authority. McCann's supposed to be a 30 home run guy. What does he have? One still. Um, I, I looked it up on StatCast for, you know, barreled up baseballs. And they're amongst the bottom in all of baseball in every single category when it comes to hard hit percentage and everything else. It's not a pretty sight right now. And it's so utterly disappointing because I said it for years and years and years on SNY. This team can't be that cold. It can't be all eight guys at the same time, can it? And they're starting out the season that way. And yet they're still right around 500 because their pitching staff has been so dominant and having to carry the load. Can't imagine what it must be like to be Jacob DeGrom anymore. It it is just the gift and the curse, because you know every time he goes out there, you know what he's going to do, and you know exactly what the team is going to do. They find a way to lose a ball game 
or not help him win a ball game, and he's got to do it all by himself. It's beyond frustrating. Right and, you know, he'll put the blame on himself after the game, and you just have, oh. to, you have to laugh. I mean, he's not going to call out the offense, but maybe they should be. And, you know, some of this will come on to him. Well, it's a repeated thing we talk about, Luis Rojas. I mean, kick these guys' ass. Kick something. You know, well, he show your no excuses. He said what he had to say. Well, say There's it to no their excuses. faces. Say it to do yell. Throw throw a table. Do a major league. Flip over the sandwiches. Flip a water cooler. Do something. Get riled up. We saw him get thrown out for the first time like a week ago or whenever it was. I want to see some more fire in this manager because you said it. One through eight, this lineup is stacked. And now Brandon Nimmo's dealing with a hip injury. You know, maybe that's affecting him, but you know, outside him, Lindor hasn't hit. Conforto hasn't hit. Alonzo's hit a few homers, yes. Uh, McNeil struggled. McCann hasn't been great. So top to bottom, outside of Nimmo's average and J.D. Davis, it's not been good. And you can't have two guys hitting and expect, you know, unless they're hitting home runs every time, you're still not driving in runs. Even if this guy's getting a single, that guy's getting a double. And they continue to not get guys over and get runs in. First and second, no outs the other night. They don't score. You know, runner at third with less than two outs. Get him home lay down a freaking bunt for once i mean why do these players hate bunting it isn't that hard figgy no oh, well it's hard when you never work on it that's a, the problem and also runners in scoring position looking at a 187 batting average 187 was the case murder was the case was that uh snoop dog 187 this is ridiculous to think that this lineup that led all of baseball last year, they're right in the middle when it comes to batting average, which means absolutely nothing in today's game, right? Because they're the same as the Dodgers with runners on base, 233. Only problem is they have more home runs and more walks with runners on base to continue to load bases, to make more things happen. The Mets don't walk. Uh, they don't strike out a ton. They're playing it safe with these at-bats. They're not letting it go. They're not letting it fly. They're not letting their natural talents. It's almost that two-strike approach has been drained and ingrained into their head, and they're just trying to put the ball in play, and it leads to these awkward, ugly two-strike swings. And if I see another curveball, what, what Boston exploited that weakness they have to a curveball, it was curveball after curveball, fastball up in the zone, curveball bouncing almost in the grass. We saw J.D. Davis strike out. Uh, was uh, Tuesday night's game, I think it was, where not even close. That's something that really has to be addressed is that it's not the lack of preparation. It's not the lack of anything, but trying to play it too safe. Let your natural ability take over. Hit the ball hard. That's it. Hit the ball hard. Wherever it falls, it'll fall. It's the way it's been in baseball for 170 years. Hit the ball hard and stop worrying about playing percentages and playing the, the, the stat cast era of, of exit velocity and everything else. I think Wilson Ramos has more home runs than the team still. This is where we're at. It's a team that has really good offensive players who have not hit their stride offensively. I get that. Then defense has reared its ugly head from time to time. That's kept them from, you know, putting together big winning streaks. I get that. Pitching can carry them, and then we'll be in May saying, oh, my God, the pitchers are burnt out from, you know, having to be used so much. I'm hoping that that point doesn't happen. I'm hoping that after this two-game stretch, another off day, which we still haven't had seven straight days of baseball for the New York Mets. Once that happens, they can kind of get something rolling, and whether it's two, three guys – start getting hot at the same time, that's what's going to take for the Mets to start playing some winning baseball again and being able to put together and string together some wins and take advantage of some of this great starting pitching that they've had. Yeah, and that'll finally change, Figgy. I mean, after today, you know, get your last day of relaxation in because it's time to party. I mean, enough of these days. I mean, two days off in a week. Monday, I mean, I haven't taken a day off from the New York Post since I started in 2019, and the Mets get an off day every three days, and they're making millions of dollars. Like, come on, man. And, you know, this is the stretch here. 
year. Maybe the bats come alive because now the Mets have 10 straight days, no days off. Please, Mother Nature, do not screw this up. Let us play 10 straight days of baseball. Three in Philly, all night games will be Sunday night baseball before we're back on Monday. Then four in St. Louis, three night, and then Thursday afternoon, we'll be back after that Thursday game. And then back home at City Field for three. And then May 10th, they're off. But now, 10 straight days. Get the bats together. A day off maybe, you know, hurts them. I don't know. You played. You, I mean, you didn't hit, but, like, when you're whoa, lack whoa, 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 Yeah, I mean, you hit here and there. But, uh, yeah. you know, when, when you're in the lineup every day and then you have two days off in a four-day stretch, you get cold, I'm sure, and you're chilling at home. You're, and now every day you're coming to the ballpark. So this is a real stretch for Lindor. And, you know, I was there Tuesday and Wednesday. It was probably almost 50-50, Figgy. There were a lot of Red Sox fans who scooped up tickets. But Lindor's getting booed, and I don't – you know, we'll talk about it with Puma as well. I think it's wrong. I don't think they should be booing him. But this is a big 10-game stretch from no days off. Get your, You know, you got those seven games on the road here to get back in a rhythm here before you return home. And if he could string together, you know, some good at-bats and some big hits on the road and come back home, you turn those jeers into cheers. And then you carry that into the, the home games that come up when they have three against the Diamondbacks and two against the Orioles before they go to Tampa. So this is a big stretch of games, Figgy. No days off. You know, that's my motto in this industry. I, I don't like to take off. You know, I love what I do. The Mets love what they do. Well, show us that you love what you do and start hitting some baseballs because it is putrid to watch at times. Yeah, right now with Lindor, it would be like, okay, let's give him a day off and put somebody else at short. Give Guillaume a day at short and let Lindor have a day off. But with all the off days, you can't give him a day off. He's well-rested. It's not because he's fatigued or he's tired. It uh, Maybe mentally tired. And it seems like that because uh, every at-bat, it just seems like he's trying to do a little too much. He misses the good pitches to hit, and then he's expanding the zone and chasing pitches. I don't remember him chasing the ball that much you know, in, in the past. And again, I, did I watch him every day? No, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I watched him every day. And he, never, he never made it out back in Cleveland. No, I think fans need to kind of temper down those expectations and just wait and watch once he gets hot. Please stop with the how much money he's going to be making. Please stop with the, oh, this is what we get for trading away two players who could already do the same thing that he's doing now. Stop with all the, the excess drama. You have a superstar that is going to be here for a long, long time. He has not yet really hit the ground. Um, I would say running, but this is crawling at this point. We've seen it happen in the past with with guys who you know come over from other teams. It takes a little while. It's it's a different environment, and so hopefully we'll see him get things going and then be able to return home, uh, clicking on all cylinders. His defense at least has been there. When the Mets pitching staff has benefited from his defense, we've seen double plays turned with regularity. Where there's in the past, it would be like, oh my god, can they get one? Can they get two? Right now, you're looking at his defense has been the saving grace, and you know even. The other night with that diving play where he's in the right place at the right time for Familia on a missile up the middle, doubled off Hunter Renfro and, you know, had that big smile, that jubilation. You think he was thinking about his 0 for 3 before that? No. Hey, I made a big play right here to help the team keep this game, you know, right where it's at. And let me see if I can do something with the bat when he came up. So I, I he's, he's just pressing a lot for a young player who got the contract that anyone could dream for. Uh, it took also look at Tatis. Tatis didn't start out, you know, hitting a bunch of home runs, but man, he hit a bunch over that, that Dodgers series. What was it? Five in those three games made an embarrassment of Trevor Bauer. So th these players, they're, they're getting paid those big bucks for a reason. He'll get his 
the ship righted here shortly. And he made an embarrassment of him on Twitter where he photoshopped his face as a baby and him holding it and saying, like, <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm your daddy or something. So mm-hmm. how about oh, yeah. that? Um, but it's been the Jacob deGrom show for this team, and it, it's just the crazy stat is the deGrom's allowed two runs, this two earned runs this year. The Mets have lost both those games. I mean, that that is just a disgusting stat. Listen, they're, they're, when they score four or more, they're seven and one. When they score three or less, they're two and nine. So four seems to be the magic number, but four seems like a million right now. When you're talking about that Boston Red Sox series and the Boston Red Sox are playing tremendous baseball. You you see a team that is just a tight ship all the way around. They're, they're at bats that they take are very, you see, not just potent swings, but you see patient swings. You see guys putting ball in play. You see guys hitting the ball the other way. You see guys being able to do a little bit of everything. And that's one through nine. You couldn't name them one through nine if you tried, but at the same time, they're playing tremendous team And they baseball. got no names in their bullpen and starters just shutting the Mets down. It was like Mariano and Jeff Nelson in the back end of the bullpen. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was one of those things that you're looking at. Barnes is getting an opportunity to close for the first time, and you're looking at a guy who's throwing 97 with a nasty hook, a nasty curveball that at 87, 10-mile-an-hour difference, and with that downward action, it was a plus-plus outing for him both nights. Can we trade Barnes for Barnes? You know, Can we get uh, Salino and Barnes and you take our Barnes? Is that cool? <laughs> I don't think it works that way but i do it in a heartbeat right now you saw the red sox got the best of the mets and we were looking forward to that matchup the best offense in baseball versus the best pitcher in baseball and all it took was one run to be the difference maker sigh 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 the Mets are, you know, still right there in the standings. The NLEs has been beyond mediocre so far, which we expect to change, but they'll face the Phillies this weekend who are tied for first at 12 and 12. The Mets are half game back at 9 and 10. Marlins 11 and 13. Nationals are 9 and 12. And, you know, they'll start it off on Friday in Philly. I think I'm a Jim's guy the first time. I actually had lunch in Philly one of two times, maybe I was there. I had lunch with Phil Martelli when I went to Philly, and I had Jim's cheesesteak. So that is the move there. You played in Philly. Do you have a preference from when you played of your cheesesteak? Gino's, no, Pat's, no, Jim's? No, no. The, they used to bring them into the clubhouse, and they would just kind of randomize it, mix it up. So if it was, uh, if, it, if it came in and it was edible, I ate it. So it didn't matter to me, and I, I don't have a preference. I wasn't going out driving to get a cheesesteak at any time of the night. Do you get booed off the field in Philly, and, and what is the feeling like? Because they're they're known to for being some brutal fans to their players, and obviously the Mets aren't helping. Uh, Mets fans aren't helping our case by booing Lindor already <laughs> yeah that was one of the biggest knocks on philadelphia they always hear about they booed even santa claus uh you know the uh through santa uh, they threw snowballs at them yeah yeah they, they 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 booed their hometown clubs and back when uh we were in the vet stadium i remember scott Rowland was getting booed because larry boa kind of threw him under the bus for all the team's ills we finished two games out of first place but it was all you know scott Rowland's fault whenever we didn't win a ball game the organization i don't know what happened there they chose boa's side of things and next thing you know the fans were just all over Scott Rowland really caused him to leave and go to St. Louis to I would say greener pastures at the time especially during that time period but when you you look at the turnaround when I went back in 2010 and they had just won the World Series in the city of brotherly love and they had the new stadium and everything is gravy now all of a sudden they love their Phillies and and I never got booed as a Philadelphia Philly. Thank goodness I was able to do my job almost each and every time out, which is very few when you're the long man and you got those starters. And back in those days, it was those guys were going seven, eight, 
regularly. And then you had, you know, a lockdown bullpen. So when I did get in, it was, it was two awesome. of your better years there. You had in 2001, you were four and five, three, nine, four ERA. You had 13 starts, which is a pretty solid season. And then you came back in 2010, you had 13 games. You had a three, four, six, you were two and one. So uh, I guess you didn't have be worthy of being booed because you put up some good numbers. Yeah, no. I, and, and that was one of the things it was, uh, that's one of the reasons that I always talked about accountability is because having to play in places like that, right? You had to face the music the next night. If I was in the bullpen and I did a bad job and I'd had to sit up in the bullpen, you're surrounded by the fans and you face the music the whole time. So if you stand up and you say, hey, you know, <laughs> Mike Fetters used to do a great job when I was in Pittsburgh. He would go out there and he'd take off his hat, put down his glove and he'd go, hi, I'm Mike Fetters and I suck. Yes, I know. Thank you very much. Enjoy the game, guys. And everybody be like, we love you, Mike. And he'd get back up there and goes, you do not love me. You're only, <laughs> you're, you're, you're only trying to make me feel better about myself. I loathe myself. I suck. I'm going to go sit down right now. And I don't, want to, I don't want you to even look at me anymore. And they would all start laughing and make a joke of it. But th that was one of the things that accountability is everything, man. If you're, if you're a humble person and you say, hey, you know what? I sucked yesterday. I'm, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to make sure that next time it'll be better. People like that a lot more. I, I remember pre-SNY days, back when I used to give my interviews, it wasn't cliches. I couldn't live on cliches. I wasn't, I, I know how long, much time I had in the big leagues to be able to give cliches. So I would give my heartfelt answer. Like I, when I sucked, it sucked. When I was mad about something, I let it out. If I, if I was disappointed in myself, I'd let it be known. You know, I, I bust my ass to be in the big leagues. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a, a right of mine to be in the big leagues. It was a privilege to be in the big leagues because I was somebody who I didn't make enough money to not be expendable. So I went out there each and every time I signed autographs. I've freaking tried to, you know, uh, shake babies and kiss hands and make sure that, you know, I've made my presence known that when it was all said and done, hey, th this is a, a guy who was a stand up guy, no matter what, win, lose or draw. He was a fan friendly player. He didn't hide from the media. And at the end of the day, I can hold my head up high. Welcome to Dr. Brown's therapy session, Figgy. Now we will go through when you were booed and times you were hated on. How did you handle the booing and the hatred? Whether it was in your big league career or SNY getting tweet, you are a sucky analyst, Nelson. You suck. We want Anthony Recker on here. We don't want you. How did you deal with it, Mr. Figaro? Uh, well, like I did with everything else, I always tell people if they have a problem with it, they at least they can Google me and know who I am. They usually hide behind a fake profile picture and you never get to know who they are. And then if I meet them in person, they nine times out of 10, it's like, oh my God, can I get an autograph? Can we take a picture together? It's like Twitter user John S45724. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, listen, I'm never ever above anybody and I've never wanted to be that way. I'm, I went down, talk about being in the World Series. We'll talk with Puma later on. I bought tickets to the World Series and I sat in the stands and watched Watch. And actually, it was funny because my row was already filled with my family sitting in their seats. And so I tried to squeeze one more in there. I figured somebody would go get a drink or, you know, get a beer or something, get out of the seat. A guy goes, he tells his girlfriend, get up. Nelson Figueroa is going to sit next to me. You're going to sit on my lap. So the guy pulls his girlfriend onto his lap. I sat next to him with my family watched a couple of innings before I had to go back out and prepare for the show. And I wanted to be in that environment as well. I wanted to be a part of it because I grew up sitting in the upper decks. I had an opportunity to be right there on field level, down in the right field, 109 area. And uh, it was it was amazing to be a part of that, just to feel that electricity, just to feel that energy, because I didn't get a chance to go to the 86 World Series. So 2015 came around. I had just got the job with SNY. And in my first year, we're, we're in the World Series. Man, I was going to try and do everything I could to, to soak up as much of that as possible. This is the part of the session where we practice our breathing exercise. 
I'll tell a quick story from uh, last night before we we go to Mike uh, Pullman real quick, just because it was it was just very funny. I mean, so I I go to the game, my friend Gabby, and we were sitting in one twenty nine. A semi friend of mine, it's kind of mean, um, but someone who used to have like a thing for me came over to to one twenty nine, looking for where I am. I'm like, oh no, she's by herself looking around. She goes down to one of the first few rows, maybe one twenty eight. She's having people mid game, which is, I hate this, bro. At games and people do this mid game is having people like asking people to take a picture of her. They're like hand her the phone. It's random strangers and during COVID, where you're like handing your phone to strangers. I don't know. It's a little strange to me. So she's getting the pictures. She's putting up the peace signs and, and all this stuff. So then she goes to a child. This is like a eight, maybe 10-year-old. I don't know. 10-year-old either caught a ball, foul ball, or was thrown a ball. She offers the child cash for the ball to take a picture with the ball with the field in the background for her Instagram, to flex, whatever it is, and handing the kid, I think it was $20 or $10 or $20 to do this, bro. That, this is against life etiquette, in my opinion. To pay a child, listen, the kid wanted the money. I don't blame him, especially if it's 20 bucks. Like, why not? And then the kid took a picture with the $20 bill. And he, I don't know if she gave the ball back or not, but to pay money for a ball to post it to your Instagram story is a little over the top, Vicky. Yeah, no, this is, uh, it's no wonder why she digs you and your love of foul balls as well. So I can see how you two make a good couple. Couple? But, no, never. Stop. No. <laughs> so, but here, here's where reality is, right? Every fan has to have their own experience. And this is what makes them come back to the ballpark. So she had the weird flex, but she also did say something about, uh, what was it, a home run ball, even though, even though she was in foul territory. So she doesn't know. I saw the whole section's laughing. We all see it. All of 129, we're looking. The people two rows behind us are laughing. And I'm like, yeah, guys, like, I mistakenly <laughs> was with her at one point for, like, a weekend. And... Uh, <laughs> It's a low point of my life. This is this is not very nice. You got but. you got to start searching for uh, like the first thing in their in their like profile says you know Mets fan, real Mets fan can you know give you some stats. That's how you got to do your date. Let me be your little matchmaker. This was like through Twitter. It was like we met like professionally, and then she like started to like me and stayed for. She was from Texas. She moved here, so she doesn't know that any of us saw. And I said, "How much you pay for the ball?" <laughs> she said, "Home run, baby." Mind you, if you know City Field, one twenty nine and one twenty eight is physically impossible for home run because it's in foul territory and i said lma on foul territory huh i said 10 or 20 dollars she said home run baby (laughs) and then i said we i gotta know how much she said game winning catch i was like first it's a home run now it's a game winning catch the mets lost one nothing what kind of game winning (laughs) catch was this Oh man, but anyways, it, you had to, it was one of those you had to be there because the whole section next to us, and then a guy like mocked her and went down and started doing the peace signs and getting a picture with the ball behind him. Everyone gave him a round of applause. It, it became a whole joke, and of course, the butt of the joke was someone that I know. It's just my life will be on Netflix one day. It'll be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if Tiger King was Astoria King uh, coming to Netflix. King of Story coming to Netflix soon. Oh, Parm King. Yeah, the the king of the Parm, the Parm God. All right, coming up next is a guy who might fall asleep on us later in the interview. New York Post Mets beat writer Mike Puma, right here in Amazing But True. Joining us now is Mets beat writer for the New York Post, Mike Puma. You can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Mets. And 
You know, Mike Francesa wasn't the only one with the top spot as number one in New York. It's Mike Puma <laughs> is number one on the Amazon baseball charts. Okay, okay, first time, long time. If these walls could talk, New York Mets uh, is out now, Puma. How's, uh, I mean, it's getting good reviews ratings-wise. You know, the, the 25 through 54 demographic, number one. How, how does it feel to be at the top? How's the book going? Yes, it, it's off to a, a better start than I uh, could have imagined. It just uh, launched on Tuesday, and uh, on that day, uh, we we hit number one. Uh, no on number. Best say it again. Day. Say it again, Puma. Not number one. Number one. Thank you very <laughs> much. <Number one. laughs> well, now the key is to, the key now is to stay there. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you share an anecdote or two? Because I read the one about uh, Zach Wheeler, where they were making him pay for playoff tickets to go, and he was hurt, and uh, they were making him pay, and like he they they said, you know, we're not giving you tickets. Like you can't be in the clubhouse with the team. They were like, well, can you give me tickets for the game? They said, no, you have to pay. What the heck happened there? Yeah. So it, it's 2015, and and Zach Wheeler. Coming off the Tommy John surgery, he's been uh, rehabbing all summer. And uh, uh, you remember a couple of months before when they traded for Cespedes, Wheeler had asked Sandy Alderson, you know, not to trade him. The Mets ended up keeping him. So the Mets get to the postseason, and Zach Wheeler has to come up from Florida to New York so he can partake in the experience, kind of absorb everything, see what it's all about. You know, as he says, so for the when the, the first time he has to go out there and pitch in the playoffs, he, he kind of knows what uh, October baseball is about. The Mets denied his request. So he said, okay, you know, at least uh, I, I, I still want to come up. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll even sit in the stands. Just just give me some tickets to the games. And the, the Mets had, uh, came back to him with, well, if you want tickets, you're going to have to pay for them yourself. I'm pretty sure, Figgy, you got free tickets to the 2015 World Series. And Zach you're Wheeler right. on the team did that. Ass, I got free tickets. Uh, <laughs> ten, 10 Gs for a strip. You out your mind. <laughs> oh, man. Wheeler wasn't too happy with that. He ended up not coming up. He said he wasn't going to pay to watch his own team play in the uh, postseason. And uh, it left a little bit of a bitter taste with him for, for a while. He said he got over it, but it also – drove him uh he said to try and get back to the postseason because of that steve cohen would have put him in a suite like i mean the wilpons clearly did not do i mean he would have been living large he would have been had the vodka from our girl bridget being poured up left and right uh but but not uh not with on the wilpons dime all right one other anecdote before we talk current mets give me one other anecdote why uh, our listeners of amazing but true should buy the book Okay, I'll give you one other pretty good anecdote. I won't give all the details to, to give the story away, but uh, when Bobby Valentine was fired after the 2002 season, there's an anecdote in there from Valentine talking about days before he got f fired, a couple of days ahead of time, Fred Wilpon said, you know, you're safe. You're going to be coming back as manager next year. So Valentine conducted his end-of-the-year coaches meeting. You know, uh, Fred Wilpon found out that Valentine was having the coaches meeting and says, uh, can my son Jeff sit in on the meeting? This was before Jeff was heavily involved with the organization. He was just kind of uh, getting his feet wet at the time uh, to take on a bigger role with the Mets. So uh, Valentine agreed to let Jeff Wilpon sit in on this coach's meeting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip over the exact details here to, to save some of the story. But something happened in that coach's meeting that involved Jeff Wilpon that Valentine thinks ended up getting him fired. Because in Valentine's mind, he was coming back as manager. Something happened in this coach's meeting that I go into detail in the book that involved Jeff Wilpon. And the next day, Fred Wilpon told Valentine, 
he was fired. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, this is one of those cases of, was it too many chefs spoil the stew? Yeah, that's, <laughs> this is exactly what happens in Mets land. And Mets land is the only place you could be where you could literally talk to the people in charge and everything gets thrown to the wayside when other people get involved. Yeah. Oh. So I, yeah, that, I found that one to be uh, pretty interesting. And, and then turn around and see a dildo in the locker room. That's what is with you in this obsession with the dildo. I got to get a, I got to get a reference. A streak in. You have going almost every, we're at what? 45, 46 shows. Now you have a streak going with I, your obsession with this. No, thing. I try to bring it up once a month. Cause it's a, it's a no, funny. No, shtick. No, Wally, once I mean, listen, we had Wally Backman on a few weeks ago. He loved it. He said he was cracking up when the, uh, the dildo in the locker. Cause TJ yeah, Rivera. TJ Rivera. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. It's, uh, it's Oh, it's a match. I, I think that's how you plot out these shows. Yeah. Who can we get to talk about the dildo? With? Dildo, dildo, episode forty-five, episode fifty. Um, well, speaking of dildo, not really speaking of dildo. <laughs> the, the Mets aren't using their bats uh, very much. <laughs> Jacob Degrom, this show has gone off the deep end. The Mets, their just, wood has gone soft. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, the uh, yeah, the wood has gone soft in uh, Mets land. I mean, how? I mean, you're a writer, Puma, but I know you got to be objective. But it must be frustrating for you. I mean, I'm sitting there at 129 last night. You're sitting there in the press box. You got to be frustrated. I mean, time after time, it's like me and Figgy saw Friday an anomaly. The one game they get six runs where he contributed one or two of them. How does he keep going out there and having the mindset to dominate when his offense clearly can't hit a guy like Nick Pavetta, who they faced in Philly before? Yeah, after a while, you, you got to wonder if even Jacob DeGrom has a breaking point here. You know, you, just to go out there time after time. And now, granted, they, they, they had they did get some runs for him in that uh, start against Washington that, that Jemmy pitched the last time. But it's the same old story every time. And if DeGrom isn't hitting, he, he doesn't have a chance for himself, it seems like, you know. I, I, I can't explain. I, I'm, I'm done trying to figure out what the answer is, why they don't score for him. But it, it was, you know, last night, you know, and it, there's DeGrom in the postgame sitting there turning the blame inward on himself. Well, that second inning, I made a couple. Hey, you went out, you pitched six innings, you gave up one run. <laughs> you don't have yeah, anything horrible. to apologize for horrible. there. You know, it's 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 kind of uncomfortable in a sense to to listen to him turn it on himself for giving up one run. Yeah, you, you look at his his career, and and we used to say that about Harvey for a while, right? They didn't score him any runs, they scored him no runs, and that was like a two year span, maybe. This has been going on six years now of watching the same thing. And people always ask me, what is it? Are the guys just nervous? And I'm going, what guys? This is 122 different teammates he's had over that course of that time. So stop talking about it like, oh, my God, it's a one-game kind of thing. No, this is every time he goes out there. It doesn't matter who he has in the lineup. doesn't matter what they do with the lineup. doesn't matter who's hot. Guy could come off on a hitting streak for four games. As soon as day five comes and Jake takes the mound, that guy is going to go 0 for 4 with the golden sombrero. <coughs> Alonzo, this is what you're looking at is is, is <laughs> no matter what this man does. And I, I, I jokingly tweeted about it. He had to sign a contract with someone and I would never put the devil in him in the same sentence. But my God, did he sell his soul to become the most powerful being on the planet, on the mound, and yet cannot get any not just run support, defensive support. Moral support, anything. I mean, you, it, it looks like the team is dejected all the way down the line every time it's his game. Like, that should be the time you have the most fun because you know, you know he's going to do his part. So go out there and have fun. Be loose. Man, 
take swing for the fences. I don't care. What are you trying to like put the ball in play and, and beat the shift? Stop it. It's it, this has already gotten to the point where uh, we need a live chicken, we need an old priest, a young priest, we need a, something to happen here where they need to hold the seance, something to get this thing going and maybe make light of it. Hopefully, that'll help. But it, they've tried everything, I'm sure. We're on the outside looking in, but when you're Jacob deGrom and you wake up every day like, oh, I got a pitch today, they're not gonna <laughs> score. And, and yeah, he goes out there and does his thing, and like you said, he's there absolutely picking apart the second inning because he threw two pitches that weren't exactly pinpoint located of the 120 he throws every game. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been rough watching the, you know, the lack of run support and, you know, the Mets offense in general, Puma's at the bottom five in baseball. They're only averaging three runs a game. Is Chili Davis on the hot seat? I know it's early, but I know fans are starting to say maybe Chili's on the hot seat. Maybe Luis Rojas is on the hot seat. If this offense keeps hitting the way it is, is one of them getting canned by Memorial Day? I have a hard time believing anybody's on the hot seat right now at the end of April. If it keeps going at the end of May, you know, I go back to the last time the Mets uh, really had a shakeup like that in the middle of the season. They fired Dave Hudgens in the middle of the 2014 season. It was right around Memorial Day when the team wasn't hitting. <sighs> I, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that they're pinning any of this on, on Chili Davis and Luis Rojas right now. I'm, I'm still stunned that they're not hitting because the one thing I looked at coming into this year when I looked at this roster, I said, they're going to hit. It's, it's a matter of if they have enough rotation depth and bullpen. And right now it, it's been uh, inverted. The rotation of bullpens carrying the team and they're not hitting. I still think they're going to hit. Carlos Carrasco, Puma, what's the timeline looking like for him? Are we going to see him back uh, in a week? Like, Are we going to see Lucchese get one more start than Carrasco? Do you know what the timeline's looking like? I don't know the timeline, and I, I, th I think it's possible – We'll see Carrasco uh, the next time uh, that they, they need the fifth starter. Maybe maybe they wait one more turn after that. But we're we're at that point now. I think where we're kind of within a, a week to ten days of uh, maybe we're going to see Carlos Carrasco uh, joining uh, this team, which is and it's really a, a best case scenario because you know at the time initially I think they were looking they were thinking it was going to be more late May than early May, and he's he's really come along quickly here. But it, it's close. If it's not. You know, if it's not this next time they, they need somebody in the rotation, it's probably the time after that. Yeah, I remember the times when we would sit back and go, don't worry, Cespedes is healing. He'll be back in the lineup. There's nobody on the horizon to help this lineup. Like, we, we keep talking about these pitching guys that are going to be coming back between Carrasco, Lugo, and then you got Syndergaard. Great, wonderful. Maybe Syndergaard can hit as well. But it, this is just I, – I, I used to say it every year on SNY when it was like, can the whole team be cold at the same time? Can it possibly be happening? And it's happening, and it's happening very early. There's no way that these guys are going to hit this way the whole season. I, I can't see it happening. But what I do see is, like, even when we talk about Conforto, oh, he snapped out of it a little bit in his last, you know, seven games. He's got a bunch of hits. And on paper, they're saying doubles. If you've watched the games, they've been some bloopers and balls that fall in the other yeah. way. And, you know, against the shift, there's not been many balls that have been hit hard by a guy like Michael Conforto. Do you feel like he's pressing big time because of this contract? I got to think it's weighing at least a little bit on him. You know, you, know you, you come into the season, you go into spring training, hoping you work something out an extension before. And they never really got close on anything there. And, you know, then all of a sudden it hits you like, okay, if I want this mega contract, I got to go out and put up those big numbers. And I, I don't care what anybody says. That's That's got to be a weight on you, mm -hmm. you know? I think it's manifesting itself in, in Conforto a little bit. 
Yeah, and then you look at the other side of it as a guy who got the big contract. Should be with all kinds of relaxed and I don't give a damns. But you could see he's pressing big time up at the plate. He's trying to hit six run home runs. And, you know, that I, I go back to the game in Chicago where he came up. Who'd you want up at the plate? Lindor. Base is drunk. Here it is, a slider, hanging slider, something down, right down the middle of the plate, something breaking into his barrel, and he rolls it over for a ground ball. We've seen more ground balls out of him, I think, so far in April than I think Cleveland has seen in the past two years. So it's it's been frustrating to watch for Lindor because everybody's on him. He's now getting booze, and he's getting booze very early into a 10-year, a 10-year deal. Where I'm kind of concerned, not for him, but for the like the fans should know better. Fans should know better. Even Mike Piazza, when he got here, didn't hit the ground running for a while. And there is some adjustment period. I just don't understand how both ends of this, where one's pressing because he wants the contract, one has got the big contract, and it seems like he wants to prove that he's worth that. He's got to be able to calm down and realize that they're in it for the long haul. It's, it's April's going to yeah. April will be gone, and let's see what happens in May. Well, you, you brought up Piazza, and I, I talked to him about that for part of my book, actually. He got to the Mets, uh, that trade with the Marlins was in late May, and it, he said it took him about till mid-August until he really felt like he was accepted with the team and the, the booze kind of stopped. He pointed out a, a game at Chase Stadium where they uh, swept a doubleheader and he had a bases loaded double to help complete the sweep uh, against the Rockies. And he says from that point on, he felt like it, he was uh, he, he was accepted and that, that the fans had embraced him. But those first three months or so, he was hearing the booze. And, I, you know, you can't – I think you have – he was probably putting added pressure on himself because when you get booed, you, you want to go out and show people, and sometimes it, it works adversely. It's a joke. I mean, not only you say 10 years, he's here 11. He's got this year plus the other 10. So you have 11 years of this guy here playing shortstop every day, and we are not one month into the season. In a season where you had a third of the games have been postponed in some form, you've had cold weather, you've had warm weather, you have rain, you have rain delays, you got rain outs. It has just been a wild month of April, and I'm usually the yelling, screaming lunatic, but even I know that it's a joke. These aren't true fans if you're booing this guy make him feel welcome how are you gonna feel welcome when a month in you're booing him out of the stadium now and listen he did have a go-ahead hit in Colorado it may take him like you said get that big hit here at City Field, maybe it's next weekend against Arizona, I think they're playing. W- whatever it is, maybe he gets a big hit. It might be a big home hit, but Puma, man. You know, imagine, you know, you go Chris Shaw, for you write your first story, and Chris Shaw's like, this story sucks. I, I hate your writing. You're not going to feel that welcome at the New York Post. You're going to be like, wow, this guy is a big douche. Now, he, he wouldn't do that, of course, but I'm saying if that happens your first week, you feel a little uncomfortable. You know, if, someone, if you expect someone to cheer you on and be rooting for for you if your mom is like i hate you son you, you're mad so like that's like it's probably a bad comparison there but you know what i'm trying to say yeah i know and i think listen the fans are frustrated they see lindor get the 341 million dollar extension they want to see results and hopefully lindor isn't taking it personally i i go back to when curtis granderson got here his first month plus it was kind of the same thing he, he was hitting 161, something mm-hmm. like that. It took him a good month and a half, two months before he, he started getting on track a little bit. And he, he heard a lot of booze in that first stretch. Puma, you uh, you were not there with me and figure we were there for DeGrom. So are you bad luck for the Mets, Puma? A mush. Take off? The Friday night game against Washington, I was off. We were, we were coming off the road trip uh, 
Yeah, I had just gotten home from Chicago, had uh, Friday, Saturday off. And that, that that happens from time to time. That's, that's one of the things about, uh, you know, usually coming off the road trip, you, you take the, the at least the first game, uh, home game off. And one time I didn't do that for some reason, and it worked out, was the Santana no-hitter night. I think I normally would have been off that night. And for some reason, uh, the, the schedule got adjusted. And I, I, was, I, I was one of the only beat writers there that night. You know the backups were there, but I was—I think I was one of the only beat writers there because most of the beat writers took that game off because of where it fell in the schedule, and uh, I was there for the Santana no hitter. So I'll—I'll I'll, I'll take that. I was there as a fan. If I had missed that, I would have just jumped off the top of City Field. I mean, I could not miss that uh, no hitter. So I know how you feel uh, missing that one. Yeah, good thing you went to all 34 starts of Santana just in case he might have done that. <laughs> now, now, see, that's the thing with Puma. Puma, if you're if you're the the, the glue, the heart and soul of the Mets riders, you, you've got to be there every game, game in and game out. You can't take days off. You can't be doing that. Look what happens. But yeah. the, the game with Jacob was uh, was was phenomenal to watch Degrom again mow through lineups and do it all with his bat. Almost have to be that little perennial little leaguer, uh, being able to do it both ways because we're not going to see that much more after this season. Um, last thing for me, we've seen enough of this team's, I would say, main parts. So defensively, we know what we got at, at third base with J.D. Davis. We hope that what we have up the middle is as, as solid as we can get. Guillaume is kind of the odd man out right now. You know, they've got to find a way to keep him at least in the rotation somewhat so that he can be a viable option. Oh. What happened? Oh, <laughs> oh, he's there. Oh, are you, are you oh, tweeting? Were you texting? I, I, was for the, I was waiting for the question. I said about Giorme and guys like that. They need to get him in more because we have Almora has gotten one freaking start oh. the whole season. Yeah, I, you want to keep. Obviously, you want to keep those guys. <laughs> the team's not hitting. You got guys on the bench who, when they do get a chance, the team's hitting. not hitting. Puma sleeping. What's going Puma. on? Puma becomes number one, does the Mike Francesa number one voice, and then in Mike Francesa fashion, falls asleep on the air. Incredible. I don't know. I got, I got somebody from Syracuse calling me. I think I'm supposed to go on with them. Uh, that might be a sign that we should end this thing. Mike yeah, Puma. Uh, must be. <laughs> Do we even that was, answer it? That was like, did he freeze again? What happened? Uh, hold on. Hold on. I'm busy. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Let me let me answer real quick and hey, call these guys in Syracuse. There you go. Yeah. I mean, Giorme obviously brings defense to the position. We saw what Almora can do in, in center field when he got a shot the other day. I, I think you want to keep those guys fresh. And, you know, Giorme doesn't have the offensive potential of JD Davis. So, but you, you pick your spots there and, and you get them into the lineup. Puma, you need a nap, man. I think it's time. You've been writing a book. You're going to Mets games. I think it might be time. If these walls could talk, New York Mets, go get it on Amazon. Number one in the hearts and number one in the charts. Mike Puma, thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, Puma. Uh, Let me go do this other one. That says La Despadita to episode 47, the Jesse Orozco or Super Joe McEwing edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday after the Mets' three games set in Philly. Beat the freaking Phillies. 
We'll talk to you Monday. Let's go Mets.